So this morning, uh, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 11. So if y'all meet me there, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to have a, a serious talk for a second, okay? So um, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to kind of zoom through these, and then we'll kind of talk about it for a second. So uh, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, um, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with discipline from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command with his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his loins, Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fatling will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hands into a snake's den. None will harm or destroy another, on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. All right, so we read that. Let's have a serious talk for a second, okay? I'm bringing a seat out front so y'all know I'm serious. All right, I want y'all to kind of do something. We haven't really done this before since I've been here. Um, and usually we do this at the end, you know, I ask y'all to bow your heads. Before, um, in a second, I'm going to ask y'all to do something that might seem a little strange. Um, but a little backstory. So uh, the way kind of God kind of reveals messages to me is kind of weird and annoying. I guess it's kind of funny, God and his infinite wisdom, because I can be annoying at times. And so to him, he thinks it's funny to do it to me. So like I'll be riding down the road and for like three months straight, you know, he'll just put this little plug in my ear and just I just keep thinking about it and keep thinking about it and keep thinking about it. Don't want to think about it, but I just keep thinking about it. All right. And so this is this is what he's been telling me for the last couple months, the question he's been asking me. And so this, I want everyone in this room, if you can please just bow your head, okay? Just bow your head. I'm going to say a little small prayer because I really want y'all to get this. So, Father, I just pray that everybody in this room, God, just, uh, God, they just clear their minds right now. God, they clear their hearts. And, God, that they don't miss you today. God, they don't miss the message that you're trying to say this morning. So, Father, just calm their spirits, God, no matter what's going on in their life right now. You just allow them to focus in on you. In your sons that we pray. Amen. Keep your head bowed. All right. We're going to take a page out of the kids' book, and we're going to use our imagination for a second. Some of you probably haven't used it in a while, but I just want you to clear your minds. This is what I want you to think. This is what God has been asking me for the last couple of months, and I promise you it sounds a little weird, but I need you to imagine me right now. Who is sitting at your funeral? All right. This, I promise you it's not a sad message. Don't think about you in a casket. Don't worry about that. I need you to worry about who is sitting at your funeral in the audience. Look at their faces. Really just get an idea of who, if you were to die today, who would be the people that would come to your funeral? All right, you can open your eyes and look back up at me. I promise you. Um, don't get sad on me. Uh, this is not one of those type of sermons. 
as I be, and I'm just doing life, man, God just keeps asking me, Brandon, who is at your funeral? And I don't think God's trying to call me home yet. At least I don't think so. Um, the reason why he's been asking me that, because this is the sad reality of the whole thing. When you die, the people that show up to, the funeral, to your funeral are the people that you've been pouring into your whole life. When you go to a funeral, you're going to see a collective group, maybe in the same place for the first time, of everyone that you really poured into that they've called you friends or lives that you may have even touched way back when. But people who've connected with you will come to your funeral. So here's the reality of that. The people that will come celebrate your life tomorrow are the people that you will pour into today. So who in your life are you pouring in today that will come celebrate your life tomorrow? One of my biggest fears, we talked about this Wednesday night, we were just going through uh, Wednesday night church, and I just asked all the kids, we had a lesson on fear, and I asked each one of them, I said, what is your biggest fear? Okay? Now, one of my fears probably has nothing to do with this, but I always joke about it, but I'm dead serious. I always say, um, man, one of my biggest fears is the fact that, um, you know, I'm scared that one day I'm going to have kids, and they're going to be so light-skinned I can't pick them up from school. Like, I'm dead serious. People think I'm joking, but I'm like... My kid's going to be so light that they're going to think this man's trying to kidnap this poor little person from school. And I'm going to have a crazy kid with my personality going to think it's funny and be like, oh, no, this man's trying to kidnap me. And I'm going to go to jail trying to pick my own child up from school. That's one of my biggest fears. But another one that I've been thinking about that God's kind of really been stirring up in me, one of my biggest fears is that when I die, that the people who come to my funeral, they all look the same and they all function in the same circle. What does that mean? That means that when I die, I don't, want to, I don't want people to look around in the funeral and everybody who's at my funeral um, have been in church for the last 30 years. I don't want them to all be the same color. I don't want them to all be the same age. When I look around at my funeral, when people look around, I want them to say, man, Brandon was busy. I want to see people who don't believe in Jesus at my funeral. Because that means that I didn't stop seeking the lost. I want to see people who are struggling with, with marital problems, who are struggling with same-sex attraction. I want to see people who are struggling because that means they were able to come to me for help in those areas they were struggling. I don't want to be able to look at my, in my, in my funeral or y'all look at my funeral and see everyone in the same walk of life there. That's one of my biggest fears. And so this morning, I want us to really dive into, because I feel like in Isaiah chapter 11, God gives us a, a brief, he pulls back the veil a little bit and shows us the end game. He kind of shows us exactly what he wants his kingdom to look like. All right? And so when we pick up in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, what we just read, um, it's really cool. So Isaiah 1 through, through 5 is just pretty much God just telling us, um, what Jesus is going to be like when he steps on earth, right? Just kind of talks about, you know, how he's going to reign and all his, his beautiful. And then, you know, around verse 6, it gets a little weird because he kind of switches his imagery a little bit. And I love it because it's so perfect. So he goes from talking about God's reign and um, Jesus' reign on earth that he kind of says, pause for a second, and he says, all right, this is what it's going to look like in my kingdom after Jesus comes. So look, we're going to start off in, in verse uh in verse 6, all right? And so I got three points for us today. So verse 6 says, uh, the wolf will live with the lamb 
and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fatling will be together, and a child will lead them. Now, you probably look at that nakedly, you're just like, man, this is a weird little scripture. I don't know why it's in here. But really look at the, the two animals that he used. He says the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The predator and the prey will do life together. So many times, relationships considered impossible by the world are considered normal interactions. In the end game, God is saying, I'm going to put two people on opposite sides of the spectrum, and they're going to, they're going to live life together. Relationships that the world says, Brandon, that would never happen. God says it's going to be normal, everyday relationships. As a church, are we, are we in a position where we have two people on opposite sides of the spectrum, people who are considered predators at times, people who are considered being preyed upon, are they under the same roof doing life together every day? That's the question we need to begin to ask ourselves. And so the gospel changes the mindset of how we think. God says, I'm not, you can't just put two different people. If you put a wolf and a lamb together without changing their mindset, you're going to have a bloody massacre on your hands, right? And so what happens is God says the gospel is going to change the way that they both think. God says that the predator won't think like a predator anymore and a prey won't fear like a prey would anymore. Both of them will have a conjoined mindset of the gospel, that one common thing in the middle that will put them on common ground so they can do life together. We will live and lie down with our enemies. This is a perfect example of this, okay? Take the church, for example. This is why I use the church. Because at times, man, the church feels like a predator, and at times, the church feels like a prey. Here's what I mean by that. Many times, you walk into a church nowadays, and there might be someone off the street who looks unholy. And they walk into a church, and they just feel every eyeball in the room just look at them. Because the sad reality is, a lot of times in the church today, we become the predator, and anybody who look, doesn't look like they belong in church becomes the victim. And we begin to judge them. We begin to scold them. And even times I've seen people getting kicked out of church because they don't look like the church, whatever the heck that means. So how in the world can we become the predator and turn people away from a church that was created for the lost in the first place? That's like going to the doctor's office and saying, everybody that's sick got to get out. We want number but we heal people. It's defeating the whole purpose. And so on the flip side of that, you got the predator, right? And so on the flip side, the, the, the church also feels like the prey at times because, I mean, let's be honest, there are people all over this, this, this planet being actually hunted down and killed for believing what they believe in. There are people um, who are... Uh, in this nation who's trying everything in their power to get rid of everything that the church has built. We actually are being preyed upon by the outside world. And so as a church, we understand what it means to be the, the predator and we understand what it means to be the prey. But the gospel says we're going to change the mindset. And so the people that are, 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 that are hunting other people as the church are hunting outsiders, I'm going to change that mindset to where you won't have any more unwanted conviction, any unwanted hypocrisy, um, uh, everything that, that the church does in a negative fashion, I'm going to begin to change that and reveal to you a way 
that everyone can live together. And you don't have to live in fear as a church because the gospel also states that I am with you through all of it and you don't have to be afraid of it. The same gospel that turns the, the prey from being a prey and a predator from being a predator puts them together and now the church is one whole body again because of the gospel in itself. It begins to change the mindset. In our own lives individually, how can we expect to reach people if we're preying upon them or, or, if that, or, or we feel like we're being preyed upon? So, how, so, if, so if I feel like somebody's attacking the church and I feel like a victim, if I'm scared of them my whole life, how am I going to be able to reach that person? How am I ever going to get somebody who's an atheist to come to my funeral if I, ever, if I never stop being scared of what they might say to me and begin to engage in conversation? Or how can I ever get somebody who's lost to come to my funeral if every time I see that person, I try to chastise them and tell them they're wrong and going to hell? Who are you doing life with today that will come celebrate your life tomorrow? One of the, uh, I guess one of the heavy parts of this sermon is that I think a lot of prejudice and racism um, in the world today is defined under this whole predator and prey thing that God talks about. I mean, just really think about what racism and what prejudice really is. It's somebody fearing somebody or somebody saying that I'm better than that person and I can do whatever I want to that person. All right, Brandon, so that's not me. That's not really how I roll. I mean, I love everybody, right? I don't see color. That's just not how I roll. All right, well, I got a litmus test for you, okay? I promise you, if you don't like this, don't worry. I ain't going to be on stage next week. All right, so... This is your litmus test, all right? Imagine if you have, some of you have already had kids, some of you are young and don't have kids yet. Um, imagine that your daughter or your son, okay, no matter what age they are or a suitable age, um, they come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I, I found this person who loves Jesus and I want to marry this person, right? And they bring this person in. What would you, not, not what would you say, not what would you do, how would you feel if your son or your daughter brought someone in that they say they wanted to marry that did not look like you, wasn't the same race, or didn't even come from the same culture group as you, not what would you say, because some of us are good with words, not what would you do, but how would you feel? Be honest with yourself. Because here's the sad reality of it, too. Everyone can have a relationship with somebody you know, like a friendship with somebody who doesn't look like them. But when you say, I'm going to let my child marry that person, now you're saying, this person has to become a part of my family. And so all those underlying prejudices and racism, all that stuff that we feel like, oh, we, that doesn't apply to us. When you accept somebody into your family, you're saying that I accept you for who you are and you're worth marrying and being a part of my family. If you can't say that without your stomach turning, then we may have a heart issue. Once again, if you don't like that, that's okay. I'm going to be on stage next week. All right, moving on. So uh, unnatural friendships. Number two, unnatural sacrifices. I love verse 7 right here. It says, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Unnatural sacrifices. The lion had to become a vegetarian so he could have a relationship with the ox. 
Really think about that for a second. The lion changed the very way he ate just so he can have a relationship with an animal that was scared of a lion. So many times we can't build relationships with other people because we're too dang stuck in our ways and stubborn to even change our diet so that we can have a thriving relationship with somebody else. Think about that for a second. Look at the church. How many churches do you know have a contemporary service, a traditional service, a youth-led service, a service for people with mullets? I mean, there's a, there's a church service for every type of people because what people are saying with their actions is, guess what? I don't want to worship the way they worship. I want to worship the way I want to worship. And so you got people that go to the same church that never see each other because they got five different services. Because what they're saying is, I don't want to change what I have to do to meet people. The lion changed the way he ate. He's a predator who loves meat, and he changed the way he ate so that he can do life with the ox. Can we change the way that we function so that we can have a relationship with people that we normally wouldn't have relationships with? Family of Grace wants to be what? Multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiracial, all this stuff. What are we doing to change the way that we function? What are we giving up so that we can reach people that don't necessarily do what we do? We need more black people. How many of us are going to Walmart in the hood? How many of us are getting out and going to, and, and, and talking to people who are homeless if we want to reach the homeless? What are we doing differently? What are we giving up that's going to allow us to build relationships with other people? Can we change our diet? Unnatural sacrifices is the only way. If we don't sacrifice like Christ did, then we'll always have the same culture in this church. If we want to, our church to look like our city, we need to go and reach the entire city. Well, Brandon, it's dangerous on that street. Yeah, it is, but how are you going to reach them if you never go to them? Brandon, the last time I talked to that person, they slammed the door in my face. Oh, well. Way's laughing at me because... Two weeks ago, we went and uh, literally got the door slammed in our face when we tried to tell them about Saturday night service. Like, all right, you, know, you might have had a gun too. I don't know. All right. Anyway, so the next part of this, okay? So public terror, all right? And so I like to call these people social media terrorists. All right. This is the, my next rant for this section. Public service announcement: the things that you post on social media has a direct effect on who you interact with. This is what I mean by that. All right? And take this, the lion and the ox story as a part of it. I'm going to be a kid for a second. Let me just imagine this story. Imagine this lion and this ox, right? Imagine this interaction. First, the ox is already a little weird to think that a lion wants to hang out with him. I think it's a ploy. Oh, he's trying, to, he's trying to eat me. All right, so the lion and this ox, they kind of do life together. Oh, it was nice meeting you. All right, so what, what, imagine me the next time this ox saw this lion was like devouring another another ox. Like, how would that mess with the mental of that ox? 
that every time, like the next time he saw that lion that was just hanging out with him, the next time he saw him, he was eating somebody that looked just like him. How do you think that ox will relate to that? All right. What does that mean? Imagine you met somebody the other day at, at Walmart or whatever, y'all exchange numbers, you know, whatever it may be. You may be at school, you just met a new friend, and the next time they, they add you on Facebook, the next thing they see you, they see on your, your post is something bashing someone who is just like them. Because this is what people do. They repost stuff, and they, they post stuff or say stuff they wouldn't say in person, but they think they can say it online, and they'll be okay. But they don't understand that the people who see that already have a preconceived idea of that's exactly who you are. So I call them social media terrorists. They run around on Facebook and Instagram terrorizing everybody who doesn't look like them or doesn't agree with them, and they never build a relationship. Somebody who doesn't know you, doesn't want to get to know you, the first thing they know about you is from Facebook. That's for everybody in the room. I don't care who you are. Be careful what you're posting on social media because it has a direct correlation on who it affects and who you get to minister to in your life. All right, I got to move. Number three, unnatural understanding. So when we look at verse 9, it says, None will harm or destroy another on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. So that, what does this mean? So we go back and look at, you know, God paints this beautiful picture of, of um, the unnatural friendships that's going to happen between a predator and a prey, right? The gospel is going to change the mindset. And then we looked at the change of the diet, right? We look at the unnatural sacrifice that's going to happen, that's going to be needed to, to build these relationships. And lastly, God says, this is how it's going to happen. He says, the knowledge of the Lord would be on this earth. The land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. What he is saying is, until we truly understand how he functions, we will never truly understand how he wants us to function. The more we learn about him and the less that we study about us is the way that we're going to get to this true revelation of how the earth is supposed to be. It is impossible for us to love like Christ if we don't know how Christ loved. We went to, we had D-Now a couple weeks ago, and, the, and the, um, the speaker's name was Blake Appleby, and he said this powerful statement. It's been ringing in my head. He says, he was talking about our generation, the young generation. He said, this generation will do more for God than any other generation to ever live. They, we love to go out and do, right? Just go, go, go. We like to go on mission trips, like do all this stuff. We, like, we just like to go. We just want to impact the world. He said, but here's the problem. This generation will do more for God and no, and no less about God than any other generation has ever done it. We will go out in God's name but have no idea what the heck that means in any other generation in the world. How in the world can we live for God and not know who God is in the first place? When, I, when we have a youth and they come to me like, hey, Brandon, I got a boyfriend, I got a girlfriend. First question I always ask them, I say, well, look, do they love Jesus? All right, but this is why, not just because it's the cliche answer. I ask them, do, do, you love, do they love Jesus? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, you might want to question that relationship. This is why, because how can you expect them to love you like Christ does 
if they don't know how Christ loves. I'm able to love my wife on a whole new level because after I learned how Christ loves me unconditionally and he, exp- and he loves the church unconditionally and I'm supposed to love my, my wife like Christ loves the church, guess what? Now I know I got to love my wife no matter what she does because that's exactly how Christ loves me. How am I supposed to understand, give someone grace, true grace, if I don't understand what true grace is? You can't do something that you don't know. So if we want to go out and reach new people, right, if we want to go out and, 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 and as a church reach new areas, if we don't understand what true grace is, if we don't know what true love is, how in the world are we going to extend that to a city that needs it if we don't know what it is? And I'm preaching this to myself as well because I don't spend nearly as much time in my Bible as I think I should. But for us to grow spiritually... To us to reach the city first, we need to grow upward so we can, we can grow outward. It is our responsibility because we're here today. We know better. For us to go impact everyone else, we need to begin to understand exactly what we have to do. So I'm going to end this exactly how I started this thing. Who is going to be at your funeral? Who are the people that you are pouring in today that will celebrate you tomorrow? Do we have what it takes as a church, as a community, to live live kingdom-minded? Do we have what it takes to sacrifice everything we need to sacrifice to build those unnatural friendships? that will take us to a whole new level as a church and as a city. Because I promise you, we have the end goal right here. We know exactly what we need. We know exactly what it should look like. And so if if you go out before I do and I walk into your funeral, well, I see verses 6 through 9 being lived out. We're saying our goodbyes to you. So as we bow our heads today, God, I just, I just want to, God, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. First off, God, just to be able to come, and God, just share your message. God, I understand that sometimes uh, these messages are heavier, but God, there's so much truth in your word. So Lord, I just pray that. This morning, God, that we look inside our hearts, God, and we just see every flaw that we need to fix, God, that you bring it to light so that we're able to put our pride aside, put our fears aside, and come together for the gospel, for your kingdom, God. So that, Father, one day when we take our last breath, as people gather and say their goodbyes to us and celebrate our life, God, God, that our funeral looks like your kingdom. God, that there's people from all walks of life. God, people who knew you for years and people who don't even know who you are. God, that they all come together to celebrate us and ultimately celebrate you.
thank you for sending your son for us, God, because without him, everything I've just talked about is, is nothing. Father, we love you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.